So last week we uh, we talked about um, what it means to be born again, and um, from there, you know, we asked the question, well, now what? You know, we are, are saved. We're bought with His blood. We're considered the people of God. We have a place that's reserved for us in heaven. All those things are are true for us. But here we are on earth. Uh, so what's next? You know, for us. And so Peter kind of answers that question. If you if you're there, it's in First Peter, um, chapter one, verse twenty-three. He says, "Being born again, not of corruptible seed, speaking of human seed, natural birth, but of incorruptible." And here's here's what that is by the word of God which lives and abides forever. And so the process through which we were born again is that we heard the word of God. Um, it was implanted in us, just like a, you know, a, a natural birth, a seed is implanted, and, and then there's um, uh, a quickening, a, a making alive of it. It says, but by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we've been, uh, we've been born again by the word of God. So now what? Look at chapter 2. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, wherefore, because of this, laying aside, putting away all malice and all guile, that's filth and disgustingness, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings. So putting all of those things that characterized our old life, putting those things away, now what we're to do, verse 2, it says, as newborn babes, we're born again, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So what we are called to do and give ourselves to now that we've been born again is that we're to give ourselves to the Word of God. Um, and what the Word of God is is essentially the Bible. It's what we have. And what we learn and understand is that the Bible or the words that God has given to us in the Bible are the single source of nutrition for the Christian. Jesus said when um, Satan was tempting him and gave him the temptation to turn the rocks into bread. Use your power to turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus said that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what we learn from that is that as physical food is what keeps the physical substance nourished and alive, so the spiritual man, the new birth, Christ in us, is sustained and fed and built up by the spiritual food. And the spiritual food is the Word of God. Just as physical food feeds our bodies, the Word of God feeds our spirit, and God has ordained that the Word be the singular source of that spiritual nutrition. Now, Christian books are good, but they are not the bread that man shall live by. They are helpful. They're like a vitamin that you would take, but you can't live on a vitamin. A message that you would hear, someone else take the word and, and divide it, is useful. And whatever of the word you're getting through that message is absolutely food and nourishment. 
But there is no substitute for the pure Bible, the sincere, that's what Peter says here in verse 2, the sincere milk of the word is essential to the life of the Christian. And so it is important, it is paramount for us in terms of our foundation and our success as we walk with the Lord, that the Bible be a very, very, very intimate and frequent part of our lives. We cannot survive as Christians without the Bible. So you say, well, why is that and what does the Bible do? What is the benefit or the fruit that comes uh, from a Christian having daily and constant nourishment through the scriptures? What does that provide for me? What has God ordained that the word of God do within my life? And I've just got seven things. This list could be 50 things long. We could spend 10 weeks on this topic alone. You, you have to realize how difficult this was for me because I know I've got so much time and, and so we could have gone on forever and forever and forever. But I tried to, to pick the things that probably uh, cover the most. And so there's seven to consider. What does the word of God do in the life of a Christian? And number one, first and foremost, is that the word of God causes us to know God. And, and you'll notice that it does not say to know about God. And you might think, well, that's just semantics and words. No, there's a world of difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You can know a lot about a person and yet never have known them. We can know a lot about George Washington. I mean, there's, there could be a history expert in this room that could just say, oh, I, 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 that's, a, that's a, quite a character. And you could just say things about him, but you've never known him. You've never interacted with him. And God's intent is not that we would know about him, but his intent that, that we, is that we would know him. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, and I didn't write this one out, but you've got the reference, you can look at it, but it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with, the, with God in the beginning. And then it says in verse 14 of the same chapter, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God unifies his word and his son. They're one and the same. There's no separation or distinction between the two. So to know the word of God, not just intellectually, but to have it by root of heart, is to know God. And God's chief desire and aim for us in our lives is that we would know him. I remember as an early Christian, just in my first few months uh, as a believer, the only Bible study group that met on the college campus where I was attending at the time uh, was a cult known, known as the International Church of Christ. They were not the Max Lucado brand, uh, but a different one that has since kind of, it still kind of, I think, exists in a very small remnant, but it was exposed and kind of fell apart. But it was, it was a very strong cult in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, it was centered out of Boston, and they had reached the campuses in this area, and so they were studying the Bible. And um, the, the, their method of inducting um, recruits is that they take you through a series of nine Bible studies uh, that they twist and take out of context, and they, they win your allegiance to their profession. And they say they're the only church. You can't worship anywhere else. It's only with them. And they, you know, they, they just have this whole cult-like thing going on. And, uh, and I was a new Christian, and they were doing Bible studies, so I was studying the Bible with them. And I remember on a particular occasion, 
I had gone through a couple of their Bible studies, and I was on the phone with um, Georgia, who is my wife now, but then she was just my Christian friend. And um, and we were on the phone. She was up in Potsdam, and I was down at Purchase, so uh, several hundred miles between. We talked from time to time. And I told her some of the things that I was learning in, in these Bible studies. And I remember one of the things she said uh, impacted me, and it will never leave me. And she, she's very soft-spoken. She's very meek. She's a uh, um, woman, just just loves the Lord and is very simple in her faith. And um, not, a, not a, by any stretch a teacher or an authority or a type A or anything like that, but just, you know, and, and she was listening to what I was saying, and she paused for a minute, and she said, Nick, um, she said, I want to say this in love. She said, I, I, I want you to, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm listening to what, you know, these people are teaching you. And she said, I just want to say this. She said, she said, I know God, and that's not God. And I went like this. <laughs> you know God? <laughs> I've heard people drop names before. <laughs> but something happened in my heart when I heard those words, and that became the ambition of my heart. I said, God, I want to know you like Georgia knows you. It's not knowing about him. It's not about having the creeds and, and, and the, the titles and the, 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 the words down. It's about knowing him. That's what God wants for our lives. Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them as rubbish that I may win Christ and that I might know him. And when, to, and when you know him, you realize that it is worth losing everything else in order to gain that treasure and prize. And it is impossible to know God apart from the word of God. It is essential to the Christian that we be steadily and constantly in the word because it's how we come to know God. Number two, if the word of God does in the life of a Christian is that it causes our faith to grow. It causes our belief to be strengthened, our confidence, whatever word you want to put in there uh, to, to, to develop the understanding of that. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's something supernatural that takes place as we continue in the word and allow its, uh, its truth to be um, rooted in our lives that it automatically bolsters our faith. And uh, I don't, I can't say that I know exactly how that even works all the time, but I know that it absolutely does. Um, I, I have, in my Christian experience, a handful of times seen God do some incredibly uh, miraculous and powerful things. It's very supernatural. You know, some, some people call those things God winks. You know, people have different names for it, God moments or God visitations or something. When God just steps in and there's a miracle or a healing or something. And God still does those things. They're just as real today uh, as ever before. But I can tell you for all the amazing things that, that I've seen God do in, in my life or around my life, none of those things have served to strengthen my faith. Um, it, and that's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because you would think, well, God, if you show me a sign, then I'll believe. But it's an amazing thing that signs don't, don't produce faith. I mean, just think about the children of Israel for a minute. They saw the Red Sea open up. 
They saw bread rain from heaven every day. They saw God bring in a hole knee-deep in quails for them to eat. They saw water come out of a rock. They saw the earth open up its mouth and swallow 24,000 people. I mean, they heard the voice of God literally speak over the mountain. They saw so many signs and wonders. And yet then God said, I want you to just believe me and go in and take the land. And they went. We're like grasshoppers before those giants. We don't stand a chance. They had no faith whatsoever. And yet they had seen sign after sign after sign after sign after sign, right? Now contrast that with Rahab the harlot. She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. She saw nothing. She didn't see any of those signs. But when the two spies came and knocked on her door, she practically fainted before them. She knew who they were, and she said, Our entire city is knocking its knees out of fear of your God because we have heard of the things that he did amongst the Egyptians. Faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that, you know, that goes, you know, you can hear through your eyes if you're reading. You know, it's, it's not like you have to have the, you know, but faith comes from the word of God. In the times in my life that I've needed the most encouragement, I'm not encouraged by the things that I've seen. The signs, the wonders, the miracles of the past do not encourage me in the times of my need. But you know what does encourage me? When I can, when I can dig into my heart and I can say, God, David was in this place and you pulled him out. Joshua was in this place and you gave him victory. Paul was in a prison and he was feeling this kind of despair. And Lord, you saved him from it. There was a future for him on the other side of it. That encourages me. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the more of the word that we've laid down in our hearts, the stronger our faith will be and it will never stop growing all the way throughout our time within this world. And so it causes our faith to grow. Number three is that the word of God causes us to become wise. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 14 and 15. It says, but Continue thou, Paul writing to Timothy, you continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from the time you were a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, wisdom is defined as the application of knowledge. The proper application of what I know. Taking the facts that I have stored up in my life and knowing how to use them to make the best decisions that are possible in a given situation. That's what wisdom is. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, uh, in praying for us, he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth or fact. And, And when we become grounded in facts that is the truth of God's word, then it stands that we will become wise because we have a whole foundation of facts through which we see the world. And so the more we read the Bible, the more we begin to understand who God is. And that helps us so that when someone's on the phone with us and they say, hey, I'm learning this about God, I'm learning that about God, we can, we can turn to them and we say, you know, I might not have the chapter and the verse to tell you why what you're saying is wrong, but I can tell you this, I know God. And that's not God. That's wisdom. You know, it comes from the word of God. We learn, we begin to understand about ourselves. We begin to be able to interpret our feelings. 
We begin to be able to understand and recognize the things that we're going through and where they come from. Just this week, I had people say things to me, uh, you know, that, that you know, they, they said, you know, I, I can't believe this is in my heart. I can't believe I had this thought. I can't believe that I was tempted in this way. And I'm listening to them going, I can, <laughs> because I know myself. And the reason I know myself is because God shows it to me in his word. It's very clear. You know, so we learn of ourselves. There's a wealth of things. We learn about human nature. We learn about the devil. We learn about evil. We learn about temptation and sin. There's a wealth of wisdom to be had, and it comes from the word of God. And it happens. The word makes us wise because it gives us truth, and then, and then we have the opportunity to employ that truth in everyday life. And so the word of God continually builds our wisdom. Number, number four, actually one more thing before I move on uh, to number four. Uh, I would advise for every Christian, when you first get saved, it's one of the first things you should do, all right? Our, our brains are like a big computer, right? You know, they, they, we have all these things and facts. We have like a hard drive that stores all this, mem this, this information. And then we have like the desktop and we have RAM, like the, the, the immediately usable stuff that most of us don't have too much of, you know. <laughs> We're a lot like that. So here's what I would advise is that very early in your Christian life, and you haven't done it yet, do it right now. In your mind, the computer of your mind, create a folder. Just go over there, click, right-click, you know, go down to File, New, click Create New Folder in your mind. And give that folder a title, call it Wait for More Information. And then just set that folder off to the side. And every time you hear something that you don't understand, or you read a verse that you don't understand, or there's a concept that you don't understand, it doesn't make sense, just put it in that folder, okay? And then just wait. And I can guarantee you that in time, you will find out something else that will bring that something to light, and you'll be able to move it then from that folder to somewhere else. How could a loving God send a person to eternal hell? I don't understand that. I have a choice. I can either say, well, I don't believe that, and now I'm denying God's word. Or I can say, I don't understand that, and so I'm going to wait for more information. And so I put it in that folder. You know, How could God order the execution of an entire nation, including its children and its animals? I don't understand that. So I could either choose to disbelieve it or disbelieve that God is good, or I can say I don't understand it, and so I'm going to put it in that file and wait for more information. And, and I'm going to believe still that God is good and that God is fair, even though that doesn't make sense to me. Because there are things that you're going to come across in the Christian life that don't make sense. And you know why they don't make sense? Because you're not God. And I'm not God. But that doesn't mean that there's no answer. And it doesn't mean that God is unjust or unfair or untrue. So create that folder in your mind. And the wisdom will come to understand what those things are in time. And sometimes it happens a lot faster than you would expect. The fourth thing that the word of God does in the life of a Christian is that it gives us direction for our lives. The word of God gives us direction for our lives. The Bible very clearly teaches that God has plans for us and that he has a course. Paul believed that. Paul said about his own life that it's a course. And he said he wanted to finish his course, what God had laid out for him, and he wanted to do it with joy. God has a plan for every one of us. So how do we discover what it is? How do I discover what God's plans are for me? 
Because I'm so small and individual and I don't understand a lot of things. How do I find that? How do I get there? The Word of God is essential in it. In Psalm chapter 19, it's a classic. It's one of the greatest of the Psalms. Um, the psalmist writes, and he says this, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. He says, day unto day, utter speech. That means the day, folding into another day, utters speech. They're saying something to us. There's a message in the passing of the days. Also, he says, night unto night shows or reveals knowledge, meaning that there is revelation happening in the night. So when you just look up at the sky during the day and you see the sun rising and the sun setting, and when you look up at the sky at night and you see the stars in their course and the way that they kind of look appear to be moving through the heavens as the earth turns, and you see the moon and its you know phases and its movement and all that stuff, it's preaching a message to us. That's what the psalmist is saying there in Psalm chapter 19. And then he tells us what that message is once you get down around verse 7 or so. Of some, I don't remember exactly what verse is, but, there, but, but, but when he changes from the, the poetry now to the application, the message, he tells us what the message is. You know what it is? He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And then he talks about the word of God saying, it is more precious than gold, yea, than much fine gold, and sweeter than honey that comes from the honeycomb. The message that the days and the nights are preaching is that the word of God is constant and precious. You say, how did he get that from that? Here's why. Because the days and the nights and their courses don't change. The sun rises and the sun sets faithfully every day. How many of you doubted this morning that the sun was going to rise? I didn't. I didn't even think about it. I just took it for granted and it came to pass exactly as I expected. In times of old, they didn't, when they needed to know where they were going, they didn't have smartphones with GPS to just open it up and say, please take me to the Galleria Mall or something like that. The way that they would determine where they were is that they would wait for nightfall and they would look up at the sky and they would find the North Star, and from there they would know the season, they would find the constellations, and they would determine their direction based upon where the, where the stars were positioned in the sky. And the reason that they could do that is because it was always the same. It didn't change. And so they would draw maps, they would find direction, they would use those things as an avenue of determining where they were and how do I get to where I'm going. And what the psalmist is saying is this, is that just as you can do that with the night sky, just as you can do that with the sun as it sails through the air throughout the day, you can use the word of God to gain perspective as to where you are right now and to gain direction in terms of where you need to be in the future. The word of God gives us direction for our lives. One of my favorite verses in Genesis chapter 24, verse 27, it says this, the servant of Abraham who was on this super weird quest, you can read the chapter, and God prospers his journey. And when he's testifying of how it came to pass, he says this, he says, I being in the way, the Lord led me. And if you are in the way with your life, constantly immersed in his word, God is going to lead you. 
the Word of God very definitely gives us direction for our lives. And he does that in incredible, incredible ways. And so as we give ourselves to the Word, we will find ourselves moving in the direction that God wants us to be going. Number five, the Word of God cleanses our lives and it cleanses our minds and it cleanses our soul. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26 It says, Christ also has loved the church and he gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The word of God, as we read it, cleanses us. Remember in John chapter 13, um, it was just before Jesus went to the cross and he was gathered in the upper room with his disciples and it says that he began to wash their feet. You know that, and, and Peter says, oh Lord, you can't do this. I, I'm, you, no, you're God. I'm man. You can't wash my feet. And, and Jesus said this. He said, Peter, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. A little while later, same conversation, same night, Jesus said, John 15, he said, you are now clean through the word which I have spoken to you. The word of God washes us. There's a cleansing effect when we let the word of God wash over our minds and wash over our soul. I remember a number of years ago, there was a new believer, a a man that we prayed for. His wife used to come to uh, our home Bible study every week. And every week she would pray. She would say, pray for Jack, pray for Jack. He won't get saved. He makes fun. He hates the Lord. He hates God. He, He won't do it. He won't come. He won't come. Well, Jack got saved. And uh, when Jack came to the Lord, he, he came to me after just a couple weeks. He said, Nick, he says, I cannot stop reading my Bible. He says, I can't stop. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm three quarters through the Bible in just a couple of weeks. He says, I just read it and, and I can't put it down. I'm just reading it and reading it and reading it. And he says, but here's the amazing thing. He says, I can't remember a thing I'm reading. <laughs> But I feel so clean. That's what he said. (laughs) And I'll never forget it. You know, he said, it's like a sieve. It's passing right through. It's just falling right out as quick as I put it in. But he said, I have the cleanest sieve anyone has ever seen before. And the word of God just has this amazing cleansing effect upon us when we give ourselves to it, as the Bible says, even that it would. And it's so important that we allow the Lord to wash us with the water of his word as often as we can. Number six is that the word of God in the life of a Christian, it brings us into truth, which then in turn consequently brings us into freedom. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, and then in verse 36, it says, Jesus said this. He says, if you continue in my word, this is Jesus speaking to us. He says, then you are my disciples indeed. You've become followers of me. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I like that word make. It's King James. Yours might say set you free, or that might be how you've heard it quoted or whatever. But it says make you free. Because understand that it's a process. You know, we're bound when we come to Christ with a thousand ropes and cords and chains and things of our flesh and and false concepts and things like that. And even things we pick up along the way. But as we allow the word of God to become more and more the way we think and, and we let our hearts be filled with it, then one by one those chains are broken and those ropes are undone, untied. And we become freer and freer and freer. 
And what Jesus says concerning this freedom in verse 36, he says, And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What the world has done and is doing at an accelerated rate in the days in which we live is that it is, it is increasingly blurring the lines of separation between what is true and what is a lie and what is false. And we see that. You turn on the news and we see, well, what is a male and a female? We don't really know that anymore. It, it is no longer determined by uh, biological markers. It is determined by feelings and, and intangible things that are impossible to measure. That's how we measure gender now. We don't measure it by uh, the simplicity. And what they've done is they've clouded the truth They've taken the truth of something and they've blurred the lines of it and obscured it so that now what used to be easily determined, fact and fiction, now it no longer is. We've blurred that line. What is marriage and who is it between and how does all this work? And so society is taking truth and it's just clouding the water of it and making it so that it is unclear and unknown. And once that happens, that a person can no longer stand upon this is true and this is error, then it causes everything else to come into question, and now I don't know what is true and what is error. And the result of that is now it's very easy to deceive someone because they don't know what truth is. Truth is what makes things dark and light, white and black, easy, easy to identify. And what the Word of God gives to us is truth. Again, John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. And any time we stand upon the Bible and what the Bible says about something, rather than what man says about something or higher education or uh, contemporary pre predominant opinion about things or sentiment or anything else, when we stand upon what the Word of God says, we're standing in a safe place because God doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. His truth is not evolving. It is constant and sure. And we build our lives upon it and we find ourselves walking in a stable place and we experience freedom. And that's the will of God ultimately for us in, in, in these things. And so the word of God brings us into truth, which brings us into freedom. It gives us crystal clear vision in our lives to see what is what. And it's essential and it's important. And then number seven um, that the Bible does in our lives is that it makes our lives fruitful. In, in John chapter 15, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he said, the branch cannot bear fruit unless it stays attached to the vine. And you cannot bear fruit unless you stay attached to me. And then he said, this is my will and this is my father's will for your life, that you bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain. So God's will for our lives is that they be fruitful lives. And that might look different. In fact, it does look different for every one of us because he has different plans for us. We all have different gifts. We have a different sphere of influence. We're all put in different places according to the will of God. And so fruit in our lives is going to look different for all of us. I mean, it's going to be Christ-like. It's going to you know, be Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. You know, all those things are going to be part of it. But how that fruit is is realized or borne out is going to be different from person to person. So how can we see that fruit developed and enjoyed? Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Blessed is the man, or the woman, man speaks of humankind, not, not gender. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's magazines that you see on the shelves in you know, the bookstore. That's the self-help books that you see uh, in that section of the bookstore. Uh, that's the, the psychologists and um, you know, those psychiatrists that you hear on the radio or see on daytime television. That's all the counsel of the ungodly. That's my rich brother who knows how to make a buck but could care less about the things of God. You know, it's whatever, whatever counsel is coming into my life from a, a place that is not God, not from his word. It says, what's that? Oprah. <laughs> That's right. And so blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way or the path of sinners. That means doing things the world's way. You know, God helps those who help themselves. That's the world's way. That's not in the Bible. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So none of those people are going to be blessed. But it says his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord in, in the Old Testament, when you read those words, it's synonymous with the word of God. Those things are used interchangeably. Uh, the Bible was referred to as, by Jesus as the law. Have you not read in the law? It's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. So he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And in his word does he meditate day and night. Now, the word meditate means, it literally means to, this. I know it's gross, terrible analogy, but it's what it means. It means to regurgitate and chew on it again. And the idea is what a cow does. They chew the cud, right? They eat it once and then they bring it back up and they chew on it again and then they eat, you know, and they just continue this process and they do it over. You're like, please finish this illustration, get on to the, the point of it, you know. <laughs> but, but that's the idea is that it goes in once, but I continually recall it. And so I, I read the word and I let it sink in. I give it time and place um, more than just the sieve, but I give it some time to just get in and, I, and I, just, I just keep it there. I just keep bringing it up. I let the word just keep coming up and I'm meditating on the word. I'm letting the word of God renew my mind, rewire my thought and my life and the way that I think and make me who I am. And as I do that, I'm meditating on the word. It says he meditates in it day and night and here's what's going to happen. He or she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. That when we give ourselves to the word of God, the branch attached to the vine abiding, or rooted in soil that's close to a stream, and we're continually drawing from that source, then the automatic byproduct of that is that there's going to be fruit that comes out of our life and it's going to develop constantly and naturally just like a baby grows in the womb. It's going to happen. And it does happen. And it's a promise of God that it will happen. And so the word of God constantly going into our lives is going to bring us into this place of bearing fruit. So, okay, you say, all right, I hear um, everything that you're saying, and it's exciting, and I agree with it, and all that, but how do we do that? How do we give ourselves to the scripture in this way? Because, you know, a lot of us have the same experience, like I talked about Jack before, where, you know, we read the Bible, and we enjoy it, but we don't retain it. 
We don't remember it. It goes in, but we're like the sieve. You know, I've read it, but I don't, or sometimes I read it and I don't even understand it. I like it. I get it in church. I get it on the radio, but I don't get it when I'm by myself. So how do I um, get into the word, just me, and get out from the Bible what God has for me in it? Um, how do we study the Bible? And, and so, you know, this, this is common stuff. You know, this is what uh, this is what I do in my personal devotion time when I read the Bible for myself. It's also what I do when I prepare to teach it. It's the same exact thing. I, when I teach a, a group of people, I'm just telling them what I've taught myself, <laughs> you know, and, and by going through the Word of God. And all of us are called to do this. To, for ourselves and and to be able to do it and it's quite a simple thing to do so how do we do it um, how do we study the bible and and the, the process there's actually a name for it um, it's called inductive bible study and it's and it's how we approach the scriptures in a way where we can get from them what they have for us and then retain it to some degree and it, it really comes in three forms and the first uh, form of that is just observation and so you'll take a chapter of the bible you know, like Psalm chapter 1 or whatever. Pick the passage. It doesn't even have to be a whole chapter. It can be five verses uh, if that's, the, you know, where the segment is or how it fits or whatever. Or it could be two chapters depending on um, where you're at. The story of David and Goliath, which spans, you know, three chapters of the Bible, but it's all one segment, you know. So you, you take your section of Scripture, and the first thing is just observation. And it's what does the passage say? What is this passage saying? And when I do this, what I do is I have a notepad and I have a pen. And I'll actually, because, because my mind goes way too fast for me to, to do it without that. You know? So I'll read verse 1 or verses 1 and 2. And then what I'll do is I'll write on my pad and I'll write verses 1 and 2. And, and in my own words, I'll just maybe write down an abbreviated form of what's being said there. And, and what that, it's amazing what happens when you do that because it allows you to really um, think about that verse and what's being said there. You know, start something. Something starts to happen and build in your mind when you do it. And so I look at each verse and I ask the question, what does the passage say? I look at the passage of Scripture and I begin to ask the questions. Who is in this story? What is, is taking place in the story? Why is this happening? Or why was that said? Why did he respond that way? Why did uh, why was this person motivated to do it? Uh, what was going on um, at the time outside? Well, you know, I, I just ask questions to myself while I'm looking at the passage. When did all this take place? Where were they standing? What's the name of the village that they were in? Were they in Israel or were they in Babylon? Like I'll, I'll ask all of those questions and I'll ask the question, why? Why is this happening? You know, and so I'll just ask those common questions. Who, what, where, when, why, and how? To, and I'll put it, put it upon that passage. And all of this is just the observation. I'm just looking at the passage. What does the passage say? Now that's meditation, right? You're bringing it up. You're, you're kicking it around. You're thinking it through more than just reading it. Well, then you move on to phase two. And phase two is now interpretation. Interpretation is no longer what does the passage say, but now it's what does the passage mean? Why is it here? And so when I do that, I'll look for a single common denominator. What is the single common thing that puts this whole thing in one box or one bundle? And what I like to do when I do that is that I'll, I'll try to summarize the entire passage in one sentence. How can I summarize everything that's being said here or simplify it down into one simple sentence? Something like, you know, how God defeats the giants in our life. 
You know what I mean? That's that's what 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 this whole thing of David and Goliath is here. Psalm chapter one. This is the recipe for a blessed life. That's Psalm. That's Psalm chapter one in a single sentence. You know, and so you just take it and you ask, what does it mean? Why is it here? This thing. That's what it means to interpret this whole thing, and you begin to draw some conclusions based upon what you've read uh, and what you've discovered in the text itself. So now I know what it says, and I know what it means. And so now the third thing, and this is the most important, most people don't ever get this far, is the application. And that is, how does this apply to my life, this passage that I just read? And this is the part now where I take the passage to the Lord in prayer. This is where the relationship happens between me and God and my, my relationship with the scriptures. Is that now I, I take what I read that day or at that moment or heard in that sermon or whatever, the word, however it's there, and I look at my life through the lens of that passage. And I say, God, what might you be speaking to me specifically concerning all the situations and things in my life right now what might you be saying specifically to me through this passage? What are the giants in my life that need to come down? And how can I, by faith, see those giants come down in my life? Lord, where have I been taking the counsel of the ungodly? What are the ungodly influences of counsel in my life, according to Psalm chapter 1? Where have I been standing in the way of sinners? What parts of my life am I not walking right with you? Because I don't want to be unblessed. I want to be blessed. And so I look at my life through the lens of those passages. And then I begin to think, God, what might you be telling me to do now in light of it? What might you be asking me to do by faith? What might you be asking me to stop doing because it's detrimental to my faith or my walk with you? Or how might this apply to this tense situation I'm having with my family member, my sister, or my wayward son and daughter, or with this inward struggle with sin that I'm having? How, how does this, Lord, what are you speaking to me in this specifically? That's the application part of, of, of reading um, the word of God. And so I'm looking at my life through the lens of the scripture and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit now to open my understanding and to reveal to me what, what it means to me. And what I've done then in, in that passage is that I've studied the passage. I've gone through it and I've, I've extracted from it the stuff that God has put there and I've allowed him to apply it to my life and it's become a part of me. It's now assimilated into my worldview, into my direction and my path. It's laid down in my knowledge base. You know, it's done a thousand things within my life and it's fed me. And I'll tell you, when you come away from the scripture after having done those things, you feel like you just ate a great meal. That's what you feel like. You just, you know how, you know how you're hungry and you're kind of grouchy and you're, you know, whatever, and then you eat a good meal. Not too much where you feel like, eh, I wish I didn't do that, you know, but just enough, you know, and you, and it's just like, ah, yes, nourishment. You, that's what you feel like. You just feel like, Lord, thank you. I met with you today. I sense your presence with me. That was right there. Lord, thank you for, for your relationship with me. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for caring enough about the circumstances that I'm in right now to give me the wisdom I needed in that passage or chapter to get me through what I need to get through. And you just feel close to God. There is a, a relationship that happened. And it's supernatural. It happens. 
in conclusion this morning, in this uh, ever vast topic, there, there is no greater treasure that the Christian has than the Bible, than the Word of God. No greater treasure at all. And to give yourself to it and make it a habit and to make it a, a daily and regular part of, of your priority as a Christian will turn out to be the greatest blessing that you have within your life. You'll come to a point where you will say, I am so glad that at the very foundation of my Christian life, it was given to me by God to make this an emphasis in all that I, I do. You will say, thank you, Lord. There's a verse um, in Genesis. I don't know exactly where it is, but it's in the life of Jacob. And Jacob, uh, Jacob is just reflecting on all that God had done for him. And as he does that, he looks at God and he says this in prayer. He says, God, who am I? Who am I that you have done these things for me? He said, I am not worthy of the least of all these mercies, nor of the truth which you have revealed unto your servant. And he looks back at his life and he says, God, the truth that you have given to me has been so precious. And who am I that you would reveal all these things to my life? And I believe that every Christian that makes the word of God a priority in their faith will come to a point when they look at all that God's truth has done for them and they will say, Lord, thank you for the truth that you've laid out in me through your word. On the flip side of that, if a Christian says, you know what, it's not that important or I don't get that much out of it or I don't get out of it myself what I get when I do in church and so I'm simply going to depend upon what I hear in church or on the radio and I'm not going to give myself to a constant immersion in the scriptures, you will equally come to regret that later on in your Christian life. Sadly, it's the way that all too many Christians go in their walk. The word of God takes a very low place of priority in them and, and they end up very much malnourished in their faith because of it. If you, um, if you were to go into the nursery of uh, you know, a new parent's house and see a six-month-old baby laying in its crib and uh, sleeping on its side, and they're so flexible, and they just look like Gumby there, and you know, and so cute. And they smell good even when they stink, and their their spit is cleaner than water, you know. And they, I mean, I, I'm getting the looks, but I, <laughs> you know, babies are just like precious, you know, they're so amazing. And you see it, and you just smile, and it's so precious to see that new life. They can't talk, they can't. All they can do is eat. They're just so new, you know so precious and it's, it's amazing it warms your heart but if you were to walk into the nursery of a house and you look inside the crib and you see an 18 year old male laying on his side with a diaper and a nook nook you know pacifier in its mouth and you know it didn't smell quite so good anymore you know and all the rest and you see that that 18 year old life is no further along in its development or in its growth or in its progress as a six-month-old, then your response is completely the opposite. You say, that is the most tragic thing I have ever seen. It's still human life, 
but you say it's tragic because it never grew, it never developed. And to be born again and to be a month or two or six months or a year old in the Lord and to you know, have a nook and a diaper and all that, that's fine. But to come to a point where you're 20, 30 years into the things of God and you realize I'm still an infant and a babe in things spiritual, it's a tragic place to be. And the one thing that makes a difference between the two is where I place the word of God in terms of my priority as a Christian. It will boil down to that singular factor alone, the place that I give the Bible in my Christian life. That's the determining factor. And it's that important, and it's that precious that we do it. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh, that is, just lives for this world and lives for himself, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit, and the seed that is sown, Jesus said, is the word of God. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit or from the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There's going to be times excuse me, that you read the Bible and you think, well, I didn't get much from that passage or I didn't sense God's presence today or I couldn't find the understanding and there was really no application. You know, Leviticus is kind of dry. I'm going to skip that one, you know, go right over it, you know, whatever. Don't do that. Continue. Be faithful. Don't be weary in well-doing. The, the Bible oftentimes is, is like a river that is running through our lives, running through our hearts. And, um, you know, you could like, you know, scoop a cup of, of that water up and you could look at it and you could say, that's just clear water and there's nothing in it. There's no substance in it. It's just clear water. But that's not true. The Bible carries with it in every, every word, every passage, sediment just like a river would, right? And when we allow that river to wash over us and flow through our lives, it is every time it is laying down sediment that, that you can't even maybe see, but it's laying it down nevertheless. And little by little, there's a little delta or a big delta that's growing within us. There's a foundation of truth and of life that's being laid down. And if we succumb to the temptation, okay, well, I read a chapter today and I didn't get anything from it. There was nothing there. This isn't worth my time. You know, I'll wait for church or I'll listen on, you know, whatever. It's, it's a mistake. I'm telling you, it's a mistake. Because that sediment that builds up over time as you read becomes a foundation and a place to stand. And it becomes substance for the soul. It's so important, so critical. May God make you lovers of his word. You will not regret it. Not for one moment. Amen.